You're listening to the Misty Creek Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Misty Creek Community Church, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. Today's message is from Senior Pastor Stephen Street. Love doesn't have a short fuse. Love doesn't boast. It's not envious. It's not self-seeking or self-serving, okay? It's not easily angered, which is back to having a short fuse. And love is kind. Love is always appropriate in whatever scene you're part of. Love is the essence of who God is. We're learning about what is love, and I know that seems redundant and very elementary, and we automatically think the month of February is the month of love, so Stephen's going to preach about love. Yes, I am. Because, to be honest with you, the entire theme of the living Bible that you read, and I hope you read, is all about love. The Word tells us that God is love. And if we love God, that means we're going to love others regardless. And one of the most important aspects of love is what we're going to talk about today, which is kindness. I told you that you were going to experience a life-altering moment. I believe you are. Many of you have already experienced that as soon as you walk through what I like to call those spiritual doors and you entered into this sacred space, you immediately felt nurtured and safe and cared about. You immediately knew if I need to cry, if I want to laugh, if I want to raise my hands, if I just want to be still, it's okay because there's no judgment here. This is a place that permeates love. And you feel it and you sense it. And it's because there are people all during the week that are praying over this place, that are praying over you, that are praying over our leadership so that we would indeed encounter the authentic presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's what sets us apart, is that we are relying on that Spirit to what you just prayed, to speak through us, speak to us, act through us. So we're becoming less and less like ourselves and more like Jesus, the author, creator, perfecter, pioneer, sustainer of our faith, and the perfect example of love. You know, three weeks ago, I started this series of sermons based on 1 Corinthians 13, and we began to consider why Paul said that love is the most excellent way, and that most excellent way is found in that first chapter of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. Paul said that love is more important than spiritual gifts, knowledge, faith, generosity, even more important than our willingness to die for Christ. For even if we had all of that but we didn't have love, they would be empty and useless, just like beating a gong outside of a pagan temple. And we talked about that, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Paul tells us that love is patient and that love is kind and that love has a short fuse and that love is slow to boil over and that it counts off before it blasts off. Love causes us to think before we speak. Does that make sense? If you truly love someone and you're engaged with them, you're in a relationship with them, then before you blast off, you count off. Is this what God wants me to say? Is this how God wants me to react? Would this make him proud, what I'm about to do, what I'm about to say? It's something to consider whenever 
talking with someone, whenever making a big decision, is to include that element of love. Is this filled with love? Is what I'm going to say, does it have love before it? Then he tells us that love is kind. And that's what I want us to consider this morning. Last week I gave you a little teaser. told you I was going to talk about millennials for a moment. And I am. There was a Gallup poll done recently with millennials. And some amazing things were revealed from that poll. Do you know that right now in the workforce that there are five generations represented in the workforce? Think about that for a moment. That's never occurred before in the history of humanity. There are five generations in the workforce right now. And people are working longer than they ever have because they need to with the state of the economy. When that, that terrible recession hit our country several years ago, people realized that they're going to have to continue to work even longer than they anticipated. So there are five different generations in the workforce right now. And millennials are part of that. And so in this poll, they asked millennials how they wanted to live and what was important to them. Do you know the number one thing they said that's important to them is kindness? And that's what we're talking about today. They want to be shown kindness, and they want to show kindness. They want to make a difference. If you pick up one of our welcome gifts today, which is a bookmark, on the outside of that, it says, we care about you, the community, and the world. Well, that's millennials. That's true. They want to better themselves, but before that, they care about their community. And even more than that, they care about the world, and they are concerned for our world. So that's a good thing, isn't it? Kindness is important. They're also concerned about their paycheck. Anybody else in here concerned about your paycheck? So that's important, too. Nothing wrong with that. Some things never change. They also have a purpose. They want to know that they have meaning, that there's purpose in their life. They also desire satisfaction. They want to do something that makes them happy, that satisfies them. That doesn't sound much different from our generation, right? My generation, to be satisfied. Nothing wrong with that. They want to develop. They want to grow and learn more and be trained. They want to be coached. It's not all about pleasing the boss like, like many of us, but they want to be coached. They also want ongoing conversation. That's important. And lifelong learning. They want to learn as much as they can. I have a millennial. My daughter is. And that's so true. She wants to grow. She wants to gain as much knowledge as she can. She wants to go ahead and, and start thinking about her master's. And she wants to make a difference. And she wants to, to go into a career that's all about child advocacy and making sure kids are protected and, and safe and experience the love that she's experienced. She says, Daddy, no one should go without being loved and cared for. Isn't that true? Wow, what a calling that she has on her life. That's a millennial's mind thought, okay? They want you to point out their strengths and not always their weaknesses, but they realize that it's important to point out weaknesses sometimes. But don't focus just on the weaknesses. Focus on the strengths. And there's this thing that I read about millennials. There's a book. It's a good book. It's called Growing Leaders. So if you want to learn about millennials, Growing Leaders, it's by Tim Elmore. And in that, he says that millennials are part of a six-month cycle. That means in the job force, the workforce, they leave if they don't get what they want. Pretty simple, okay? Maybe you fall into that too. So I thought that was interesting. Probably the fastest-growing generation, the generation right now 
that's most active in the workforce, the number one thing the Gallup poll says about them is that they're kind. And that's exactly what we're talking about today. So church, if we want to reach the millennials, that age group, and we keep talking about that, kindness is what they're looking for. They're looking for a difference to make you know, a, a, an impact in the community and in the world. They want to do hands-on ministry. They want an opportunity to serve. And so that's who we are, right? As a congregation, as a church. So if you were describing our world right now, would you describe our world as a kind world? Would you? Or is everybody happy with one another and kind to each other? Absolutely not. There are things going on in our world today that make us just like, what? I heard a story about a woman who was standing at the bus stop. She had just cashed in her tax refund check. Woo! So she's got some extra, you know, bling in her pocket. So she's excited. She's a little bit nervous, though, about having all that money. And she glanced around, and she noticed this shabbily dressed man standing nearby. As she watched, she saw another man approach him, hand him some money, and whisper something in his ear. She was so touched by that act of kindness that she decided to do the same thing. So she reached into her pocket, she pulled out a $10 bill, she walked over to the man, handed him the money, and then she whispered into his ear, never despair, never despair. The next day when she was at the bus stop again, she saw the man, and the man made his way over to her. And this time he walked up to her and handed her $110. Dumbfounded, she asked, what is this? He said, you won, lady. Never despair. Paid 10 to 1. <laughs> now, I can't promise that every act of kindness will pay 10 to 1, but that's a pretty good one, right? At times, though, kindness may cost you something and require sacrifice on your part. So with that in mind, I want us to look at the, the most clearest examples of kindness in the Bible, and they are found from what Michelle just read to us from Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. In this passage, we see Jesus showing kindness to two completely different people. One is a man and one is a woman. One is outcast, poor and unknown. The other is rich and influential, and he's a ruler of the synagogue. You're like, what is a synagogue? Just think about the YMCA. Okay, the YMCA used to be a place, maybe it still is, that not only could you go and, you know, do your fitness classes and, you know, all that stuff, you know, but it was also a place where you could be taught some things about how to parent, how to deal with finances and things like that and grow in life. Well, the synagogue was a place like that. It was a place for you to go and get spiritually and mentally and even physically healthy. And so this guy was the ruler of the synagogue. He was a big deal. And Jesus treats both of them, the man and the woman, equally with kindness. Now, by the time of this story, Jesus has gained a great deal of fame and popularity, okay? He was at the, the pinnacle of his popularity. People respected him as a teacher and as a, as a leader and as a healer. And the crowds were with him. They were soaring everywhere that he went. But despite the pressures of popularity, despite the crowds constantly pushing on Jesus... Despite all the demands on his time, Jesus, in his kindness, he stopped everything he was doing to meet their needs. Now, you've got some notes this morning, and there's some fill-in-the-blanks. And this is a good one to fill in right here, down at the bottom. Cal Thomas wrote this, Love talked about is easily ignored. Okay, love talked about is easily ignored. 
But love demonstrated, there's the word, demonstrated is irresistible. Love demonstrated is irresistible. Remember that song? Simply irresistible. Now that's all you're going to hear. You won't even hear the rest of the sermon. That's going to be in your, your mind, that video. You remember it in the 80s. Simply irresistible is that love that's demonstrated. Jesus not only talked about love and kindness, but he modeled it for us. So let's take a look and see the way that Jesus showed kindness to them because this is an example for us. So the first thing is Jesus expressed kindness by listening. There you go, by listening. Listening because of everything today in technology, these devices, and I know I bring them out every week, we don't know how to listen anymore. But we need to be in a culture of listening rather than a culture of hurry. It's important that we listen. So Jesus sets the example, and it's as relevant now as it was then. And so here we go. He pays attention to their needs. So when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. This is from Luke 8, 40 through 42. He said, this is what it says. When Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they all were expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, ruler of the synagogue, came and he fell at Jesus' feet. Can you imagine the people watching that happen? They know Jairus is this, this rich guy, this leader, this ruler in the synagogue, and he falls at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12 years of age, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. He was a celebrity, remember? Jesus had fed thousands of people, you know, with a little boy's lunch. And so they were coming to Jesus because they felt like they could get something from him, you know, something free. So they were all there. Now, we're not told where Jesus was going. Probably he was on his way somewhere so that he could teach and preach to the crowds that were surging in around him. And that was something very important to do. But as soon as Jairus came and told him about his daughter, the very next words that we read are this. As Jesus was on his way, evidently, Jesus immediately changes direction and started following Jairus because this little girl's situation was much more pressing than whatever Jesus had planned to do, whatever he had in his schedule. As a side note, how well do you handle interruptions? Some people work best when they can concentrate on one thing and see it through to completion. They do not normally do two or three, th three things well at the same time. So if they are concentrating and someone interrupts them, they consider that an intrusion. They don't normally handle interruptions well. Maybe you don't either. But as you get older, you sometimes learn that interruptions are sent by God opportunities to minister that you would miss if you ignored them. If you just go on with your project and don't allow yourself to be interrupted, if you aren't flexible enough to change directions and go in another way, then you will miss great opportunities that God has placed before you. I've seen that happen many times. You know, we can get so busy even in the church. I found this over the years of being in ministry that I'm so, you know, focused on some administrative things or, or things I feel like I've got to do and then someone calls or someone shows up. And now that I've matured a little bit more, I realize those are holy interruptions. That that person, that phone call, deserves my undivided attention. Whatever I'm doing can wait. 
that this person needs me and I'm going to listen and be present. It's called a balanced presence, ladies and gentlemen. Do you know what a balanced presence is? You can be involved in a lot of projects, have a lot going on, but when you're with your family, when you're in that meeting at lunch with someone, when you're with your child, to be present with them, knowing that you got all this stuff to balance, but yet I'm going to be present in that moment with my child, with my spouse, with my boss, with whoever it is. I'm going to give them my attention because they deserve it. I'm going to validate them because they, they need that, and I'm going to give that to them. And there will be times when you need that as well. You need that person's attention and their touch and their care. That's the point of this story today. So hold on. We're going we're gonna to keep going, okay? And so Jesus was flexible enough to stop what he was doing and be kind and pause and meet another need as he was on his way, okay? So listen to verse 46, 43 through 46. And a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are pressing in on you. There's so many people here. Why would you even ask that? We have no idea. And Jesus said, Somebody touched me. I know it because power has left me. One translation says, Power has gone out. From me. Now there were crowds of people surrounding him from everywhere. They were all in a hurry. Jesus seemed to be in a hurry. Yet Jesus was able to differentiate between the touch of the crowd and a personal touch of a woman who needed help. You know, our world is becoming such an impersonal world, isn't it? You go to the gasoline service station. And you don't have to talk to anybody anymore. Just put your card in the slot, slot, pump the gas, and you can drive away without ever looking at another human being. It's the same way at the bank, isn't it? How about the airlines? In, it's all in the major, any major city, you call and you hear a computerized voice. If you want information for departing flights, press 1. For arriving flights, press 2. You press 1 and it says, if you know your flight number, press 1. You press 1 again, and it says, enter your flight number. You punch that in, and the computerized voice then tells you the correct gate number. You never have to talk to another living, breathing human being. It's become a very impersonal world. Can you imagine what would happen if this, this was the case with 911? <coughs> you dial 911, and you hear, if your emergency is a murder, press 1. If it's a burglary, press 2. If the burglar is still in the house, press 3. If he has a gun, press one, press four real quick. I don't know what the world's coming to, do you? It's a very impersonal world. But Jesus took time to stop in the midst of a crowd to give a woman his personal attention as though she was the only one there out of all those people. You know, for years as a pastor, I've stood at the back of the church and as people were leaving. And I, I notice out of the corner of my eyes occasionally, people want to talk and they'll wait and they'll slip on. And you want to know why that is? Because when you come up to me, you're going to get my undivided attention. 
however long that needs to be. And I may not get to speak to everybody. I don't want you to ever be offended by that. Just know when it's your turn, when you, when you make it, that it's just going to be you and I. And all the other people that are around us, they matter. But at that moment, it's just, you know that song, just you and I. Just you and I at that moment. You see, we can get so distracted and worried. Well, if I keep speaking to this person, I'm going to miss speaking to that other person. You know, politicians could learn something from that. You know, so I got to speak to everybody. But take your time with each person because each person is of sacred value and worth and important. And you want to be you want to know something they deserve your time and attention. They do. Just think about that for a moment. So Jesus expressed his kindness by being considerate of others. Verses 47 and 48 tell us, Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling, and she fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told Jesus why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he says this, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Some translations say, Daughter, your faith has set you free. Now go in peace. Your faith has set you free. We need to realize that because of her disease, she was considered unclean, and therefore she was outcast. They treated her like somebody with leprosy. You know that disease where your skin has fallen off? That's what they treated her like. So because of that, she had not been living with her family for 12 years. Her self-esteem was as low as it possibly could be. So Jesus surprises her. First of all, by stopping and listening to her story of woe. You know, I think we have a very condensed version of this story that we listen to today. I mean, this is probably the first time in a long time that she really had anyone's attention, that she's been able to talk to anybody. She's been isolated for 12 years. So I imagine that she poured out her heart to Jesus, and Jesus, he listened with his eyes and with his ears, but more importantly, his heart. And by listening and looking at her, by paying attention to her, he was displaying real kindness. Are you a good listener? Most of us aren't probably good listeners. We pass each other and say, how are you? And we expect an automatic, oh, I'm fine. But have you ever been caught off guard and someone really told you just how they felt? A friend of mine recalls a time when he said to a lady, how are you? And the lady replied, you don't want to know. My friend said she was right. I really didn't have time to listen to her. I was in a hurry and I needed to do something else. I think it's true of most of us. We're in such a rush, aren't we? There's a story about Irma Bombeck. I don't know if you know who she is. She told of a time where she was tired of listening. She had listened to her son tell in minute detail about a movie he had just seen, punctuated by at least a thousand you knows and okays. Then she had received several telephone calls filled with what she felt like was mindless chatter that never seemed to end. So it was with genuine relief that she was able to tell the last caller that she had to rush off to the airport, that she had a very important meeting to get to. So she got into the taxi cab, and as the taxi cab driver took her to the airport, he told her about his son who had won a scholarship to college and how he was making straight 
A's. And Irma sat there and she just listened to it all. She said this, but once I got to the airport, I realized that I was 30 minutes early. I breathed a sigh of relief. I've got a whole 30 minutes when I don't have to listen to anybody. I can just sit here and read my book and not be bothered at all. And she says, but no sooner had I opened my book when an elderly female said to me, I bet it's cold in Chicago. I suppose, Irma said, without looking up from her book, I haven't been to Chicago in three years, the woman said. My son lives there. That's nice, said Irma. Then the woman continued on. My husband's body is on this plane. We've been married for 53 years. I don't drive, you see, and the funeral director, he was so nice, he gave me a drive to the airport today. Irma recalls her voice droned on and on and on. Here was a woman who didn't want money or advice or counsel. All she wanted was someone to listen. And in desperation, she had turned to a total stranger with her story. Irma said this. She continued to talk to me until they announced that we were boarding the plane. When we walked onto the plane, I saw her sit down in another section. And as I hung up my coat, I heard her say to the person next to her, I bet it's cold in Chicago. <laughs> there are so many of us who just need somebody, some time to listen, to just focus on us and listen to us and what we have to say. My brother-in-law, Gary, who lives in Lexington, South Carolina, where Hillary and Brent live of our congregation, when he was a teenager, he tells of a time when he was with his friends. They were all in the car together, you know, around 16 or 17, and they're driving along in the car, and they've got a system in their car. Do you know what a system is in a car? Same thing today. Just a bass. You know, it's all about the bass, right? It's all about that grace. Anyway, um, and so they're driving along, and they decide to, to have a little fun at the drive-thru. So they pull into the Wendy's drive-thru, and Gary's driving, I believe, and that's his name. And the little girl comes over and she says, may I help you? What can I do for you? He says, I just need somebody to talk to. He says that to the little girl, you know, on the intercom. And, and she says, excuse me, I just need somebody to talk to. And she says, oh, let me get my manager. He says, no, I just need somebody to talk to. Now, that was funny and that's, that's the prank and all. But there are times when we need somebody to talk to. There are times when you go in to the Wendy's or the McDonald's or the gas station attendant at Costco, and you can tell something's going on with them. They're sad. They're going through the routine. It's just a mundane day. It might be an opportunity for you to listen to them and to say, Hey, how are you doing today? How's it going? How's business? How are things here at the Costco? Our things here at the McDonald's, it might open up an opportunity for you to listen to them and hear their story. And then it may op open up an opportunity for you to share your story and Jesus Christ. It happens that way, ladies and gentlemen. It's that simple many times just to take the time rather than rushing through and putting our chip card in the reader, you know, and looking them in the face and saying, how's your day going? How are things with you? Have you ever thought about doing that? It will revolutionize your life and somebody else's life as well. Jesus expressed kindness through an understanding 
spirit. Notice what it says in verses 49 through 56. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore because she's dead. Hearing this, Jesus said, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. He literally said that. Don't be afraid, just believe, and your daughter, he says, will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, the people were outside. They were wailing and mourning for her. And Jesus says this, stop wailing. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned immediately. And at once, she stood up. And then Jesus gave her, said, said, give her something to eat. That's what he said. Give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished. But he ordered them to tell no one what had happened. Now let's concentrate on those few verses for just a moment. This miracle is exceptional, and we praise God for it. But notice that Jesus told them after the miracle was over, he said to them, don't tell anyone what has happened. You know, some of the most disturbing words in the English language are four words that we like to speak, but we hate to hear them. They are the words, I told you so. Remember that song? I told you so. I told you so. We hate to hear those words, but we love to say them, don't we? I told you so. That Clemson was going to struggle against LSU, but you didn't listen, Stephen. I told you so. I didn't like hearing that. Thank you very much. But I told you so. Okay? It's very difficult to listen to those words, isn't it? Now remember, those people outside the house had mocked Jesus. They had laughed at him before he went in to raise the girl back to life again. If I were Jesus, I know what I would have done. I would have raised that girl back to life, and then I would have taken her by the hand, and we had walked outside right in front of everybody, all of those mockers, and I would have said, I told you so, I told you so, look at here, she's alive, she's well, she's not dead. That would have been a lot of fun. But Jesus didn't do that. He was concerned about how they felt too. He didn't try to get even with them. He didn't even try to get back at them. He didn't try to glorify himself. Instead, in his kindness, he tells the parents, don't tell anyone what happened here. Listen to this. Sometimes it's not so much what you say as how you say it. One preacher said, I've never had to apologize for my position, but I've oftentimes had to apologize for my disposition. Have you ever had to apologize for your disposition? I love the story about the six foot ten cowboy who walked up to the counter in McDonald's. He slammed down his big fist and he said to the girl behind the counter, I want half a Big Mac. She said, What? He said, I want half a Big Mac and I want it now. Not sure what to do. She said, Excuse me for a minute. And she headed over to the manager without realizing that the man was following her. She got to the manager and said, there's a big clutch over here who's dumber than lead, and he ordered half a Big Mac. And just about that moment, she realized that the man was standing right behind her. Quickly, she added, and this gentleman wants the other half. <laughs> Sometimes you may be put on the spot, you know. 
And what you say is important, but how you say it is even more important. You have to get it right. It's Big Mac, filet fish, quarter pounder, french fry, ice cream, Sunday, and apple pie, and McFlurry now. Because back in the 80s, they didn't have the McFlurry. So I had to add the McFlurry to that, you know, that verbatim now. So anyway, and so the fact that Jesus didn't want to embarrass those who had been mocking him or even get even with them speaks volumes and teaches us how we are to respond with others too. Now, I want to tell you a story. As a clinical chaplain, I encounter all sorts of stories, true stories. And this is probably one of the most poignant stories I've ever heard and witnessed. So I want you to listen. There were some construction workers who were building a high-rise across the street from the Scottish Rite Hospital. As they were working on the third floor, they noticed a little girl standing in the third floor window of the hospital watching them work. One day, they looked across and saw the little girl holding up a poster that said, My name is Lisa. What are your names? So the next day, the construction workers, they came back with some poster board and magic markers, and they all wrote their names down on that poster board, and they held it up. My name's Bob. My name's Bill. My name's Frank. My name's Harry. And they said, how old are you? She responded on her poster board, I'm seven years old. This went on for several days. But one day, they noticed that Lisa wasn't in her usual place in the window. So at break time, the foreman, he called the hospital and asked for the third floor nurse. He asked if she could tell him anything about Lisa. Well, because of HIPAA laws and all that, you can't share but so much information. But that nurse that day, she decided, okay, I'm going to tell him anyway. He said, Lisa's taken a turn for the worse. And now she's in intensive care. So the workers... They pulled their money together and they bought some flowers and a card and they wrote a note, in, note on it and they sent it to Lisa in intensive care. Several days passed and then another sign appeared in the window. Linda passed away. Thank you for caring. You see, Linda was in the, on the third floor. She was in a quarantine room, which means she could not come out of that room. She had a very rare illness that no one, not even her parents and friends, could be around her, could touch her. So she was isolated. To even go into the room as a chaplain, I had to wear everything you can imagine, the mask, the gloves, the whole nine yards. And even then, you were only allowed to stand at the door, not even enter in all the way where she could even see you to know that you were there. And yet these men, these construction workers, and construction workers get a bad rap sometimes, don't they? You know, all they're known for is that sort of thing. Not these guys. You see, they showed kindness to that girl that day. We need to learn to be kind to one another. Even as God has been kind to us. And Jesus is that example to us, ladies and gentlemen. You see, there was a woman who came to Jesus. She was outcast. For 12 years, she had had this bleeding disease, and I can't imagine how horrible that was. And according to law, she couldn't have any contact with anybody. 
So she's a young lady. So no socializing, no going out with friends, no life really. And then she hears that Jesus is coming to town. She heard that he was a way maker, uh, a miracle worker. And she had faith that maybe, just maybe, he could do something. And so she disguised herself and she made her way through the crowds to try to get to Jesus. But the crowds were surging in, so it was a tough thing. But she finally got to him. And she thought to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, just maybe, I could be healed. And so that's what happened. She got to him and she, she touched just the hem of his garment. And as soon as she touched that garment, as soon as she touched it, she was healed of her infirmity that she had for 12 years. She was set free. And she knew it. And then Jesus says, Who touched me? Now the scripture doesn't say this. But I wonder how she felt when he said, Who touched me? I felt power leave me. Did she feel scared, nervous? Had she done something wrong? I don't think so. And we know for certain that if she felt that way, it didn't last long because he looked at her, she stood up, and he said, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has set you free. She only wanted to touch the hem of his garment. But knowing Jesus like I know him and like you know him, I believe that she was raised up that day. And not only did she get to touch that hem of his garment, but that he placed his full robe around her. You're going to receive a hem of a garment today. Our ushers are going to give that to you right now. They're going to bring this to you. Maybe you need to touch the hem of his garment today. Maybe you're struggling and you're sad. Your daddy passed away. Your husband's in eternity now. Jesus has got you. He's ready for you to touch him. Just touch him. This represents him today. Maybe you're struggling with the loss of your husband several years ago, but it's still painful and it hurts. Maybe there's something going on in your home right now and you're fighting demons and you need to touch the hem of his garment. Touch it. He's the way maker. He shows you kindness that he not only listens to you, but he responds. I can imagine that that lady, that day, that young girl started singing when she touched his garment. Now I only wanted to touch the hem of his garment, but he put his full robe around me. He put his full robe around her. Imagine right now as you touch that piece of material that my wife cut for you last night, that he's placing his robe around you and he's saying, it's going to be okay. Don't fret, don't worry. Together we've got this. I'm here. Your faithfulness is going to set you free right now. So I ask you just to close your eyes.
And whatever it is, the pain, the grief, the sadness, the feeling of not being good enough, an infirmament that you have, a demon that you're fighting, touch that garment and breathe into that garment all of it. Let all of it out because he's more than enough to take it. He's big enough and strong enough. And you've got his undivided attention right now. Breathe it out and give it to him. Lord, I release everything, Lord. Everything that's keeping me from you, that I'm struggling with. Your faithfulness and your kindness is right here, right now. Overcoming me. Over, over stimulating me. Thank you. Thank you. Release it. Touch the hem of his garment. Hallelujah. Thank you for your kindness. You are the way maker. Thank you, Jesus. We hope you were inspired by today's message. For more sermons from Misty Creek Community Church, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to stream your podcasts. You can also watch videos of our sermons and complete services on the Misty Creek Community Church YouTube channel. And while you're there, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. For more information about our church, including our mission, location, service times, and more, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. God bless you, and thank you for listening.